is the, 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 the passage that's used more than any other, I guess, to fuel the controversy, um, and that's probably even putting it mildly in some places, that exists within the evangelical church. Um, and out of it come all sorts of questions. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When does it occur? Uh, what are these gifts referred to so often as gifts of the Holy Spirit? Um, is there an order to them which is more important? Is there one gift that everyone should have? Are the gifts all still there for the church today? And so on and so on. Um, but before we start this section, this whole section, can I make one massive plea? That is that the person of the Holy Spirit has been given to each and every child of God to empower us, to help us to image Christ, to make us more Christ-like, to help us in our pursuit of holiness, to help us understand scripture, to help us relate together as a church, to help us love one another in Christ. And it just seems to me so sad that it is his work that is the foundation of so much controversy within the church. It's as though the church has taken the work of the person who has been given them to help them be united in order to be divided. And that is so tragic, isn't it? There are churches being divided over it. There's churches that have shut down over it. There are families that are being destroyed by it. There are Christians who have been ruined by it. And there must have been times when Satan has laughed his head off at it. My great plea is that we don't seek to make our points through it, prove our case through it, uh, score points in it. What I want us to try and do is to simply understand, as with any passage of scripture, what God is saying to his church through it. And we pray that his spirit will apply it to our hearts in that way. I want us to start here, verse 1, concerning all things spiritual. Why are we going to spend time looking at a passage that we're starting off by saying is controversial um, is for some a subject that has already probably caused them much pain in their life and perhaps church situations they've been in that have damaged them or they know of people who've been damaged through it. Why don't we just skip to chapter 15 and look at the return of Jesus Christ which would be perhaps far more enjoyable and, and more even possibly more profitable. Uh, my reason would be twofold. First of all I believe in systematic uh, expository preaching and one of the good things about that is you can't skip to the passages you want to look at, you've got to take the passages that come. The second reason is given us here in verse 1. Paul says, um, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. He wants us to study this subject. In fact, if only Christians studied it, rather than just immediately come to conclusions on it or to read books that someone's written on the subject and say oh well that's what God says about it if only they would study the scriptures more I would suggest to you we probably wouldn't have as great divisions as we got over it and certainly they wouldn't be handled so often the way that they are there would at the very least be a far more gracious spirit in talking about these areas if people were only more concerned to study what scripture says and what scripture uh, brings to us uh, rather than just going off on what feels good or what they believe or what they would like or what experience tells them. First thing I want us to notice as we come to chapter 1 is this. Depending on which translation you've got, I'm guessing there's translations that most people are using here have got spiritual gifts there. If not, it may say gifts of the Spirit or gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, you may, if you've got a very literal translation, it may say spiritual matters 
or if you've got an absolute literal one it will just say spiritual because in the Greek the word gifts does not occur there it's uh, literally uh, um, uh, pneumaticos li- literally the, the rendering of those first few words is now about spiritual or now about spirituals brothers I do not want you to be ignorant and, and the trouble with putting the word gifts in there I mean it's put there obviously to help us understand what the sense of that sentence the problem is with it of course it immediately starts focusing our minds onto things that we identify as being gifts of the Holy Spirit and yet very clearly as you go on further down into verses 4 to 6 he's talking about a broader subject than just those things that we would identify now as gifts of the Holy Spirit verse 4 he talks about that there are different kinds of gifts but verse 5 there are different kinds of service verse 6 there are different kinds of working and all of those things have been covered there in verse 1 where he talks of spiritual we go into chapter 13 he's talking about love love is not a gift of the Holy Spirit love is one aspect of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and yet that's included in this section because in chapter 12 verse 1 what he's saying is I do not want you to be ignorant about anything that is spiritual that's the sense of that first verse I don't want you to be ignorant about anything spiritual concerning spiritual matters Paul is writing and he wants us to be informed it does seem sad to me that and I guess we've all met Christians like it who are so preoccupied about and it's usually certain gifts it's not even gifts in general but it's one or two particular gifts but have got such a fixation on it such a preoccupation with it that they seem to have elevated it way above the fruit of the Spirit for example and yet I would suggest to you that the fruit of the Spirit is far more fundamental and far more necessary and should be far more our focus than any gift of the Spirit and certainly Paul draws that conclusion in chapter 13 he breaks away from gifts to look at love and he says this is, this is what's important primarily and Paul's concern here is that we're concerned about all spiritual matters not picking out and choosing and saying that's what I'm focused on that's my particular thing I've heard people say that that's my particular thing and they refer to a gift of the spirit well that's sad because my particular thing should be all things spiritual that God has given to me and to the church for our blessing together that's what they're given for isn't it the next thing I want us to see here is this verses 2 and 3 that there is a need for discernment in understanding this subject as any other in scripture you know that when you were pagan somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by mute idols Therefore I tell you that no one who who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What's the point of him mentioning this? Surely his point is this, he wants to drive home to them that they've got to think in a different way to the way they are thinking if they're going to get this right. The way they've been thinking is a very worldly way. They're viewing these gifts as something to be competed over, as something to be proud of as something to promote they're saying I've got this gift you've only got that one if they're not saying it that's certainly how they're thinking and, and, and they're trying to earn gifts and they're trying to do things to get gifts and Paul's saying look that, that is totally wrong you need spiritual discernment where anything spiritual is concerned and he's sort of 
makes that clear to them by reminding them how wrong they went when they didn't have spiritual discernment. That's the point of verse 2, surely, isn't it? Look, if you don't use spiritual discernment, look how you end up. You ended up worshipping mute idols. If you don't bring spiritual discernment to bear, he's saying, you can go so wrong, you'll end up back where you started. Worshipping gods that are no gods at all. That's, that's what happens when you're just led by emotion or you're just led by feelings or you're led by other people's opinion or you're led by anything other than the word of God applied by the spirit of God. That's what he's saying. They were even ended up worshipping you idols. What a terrible state to be in. And there is a tendency, isn't there, to assume that yes, but once you're saved, you don't do that. Well, Paul's argument is, oh, just around a minute. If you don't use spiritual discernment, that's exactly what you can end up doing again. (laughs) There needs to be a great call in our day for spiritual discernment, doesn't there? You've only got to go on the internet and just type in Christianity or something like that and just start looking at the things you'll come up with. And you'll come up with every heresy under the sun under the title of Christianity. Everything from promoting that all God's interested in is is how well you do here on earth through to heresies that that would deny the virgin birth, deny the the physical resurrection, deny the the physical punishment of of sin in Jesus Christ. Uh, Everything under the sun. And Paul says you need spiritual discernment and you need it when you come to this. Now he says, verse 3, I tell you the truth, therefore, he's saying, based, based on this idea that you need spiritual discernment, otherwise you're just going to end up like you were before. Therefore, he says, I'll give you two tests that will, you can apply that are going to get you off on a right starting point in this spiritual discernment. He says, here they are. No one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, quotes Jesus be cursed, close quotes. And no one can say, open quotes, Jesus is Lord, close quotes except by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does he mean by that? I I thought hard, and I can't remember ever hearing someone actually say in those words, Jesus be cursed, or Jesus be accursed. I don't remember ever in my life hearing anyone actually say those words. I've heard them say every bit as bad words, but not those particular ones. Equally well, I've certainly heard people say, Jesus is Lord, who I'm certain aren't saved. So it can't be that that Paul is simply saying, look, here are two expressions. Listen out very carefully for them. When you hear the one, you know that isn't from the Holy Spirit. When you hear the other one, you know that person's truly saved and they're speaking as led by the Holy Spirit, can it? Can I suggest to you what he's saying here is this? And I think the clue to it is in the fact that he uses the name Jesus. Now Paul very often writes about Jesus Christ in the New Testament, doesn't he? But on the majority of occasions, he uses the title Christ. Not always, by any means, but it's about two to one. He uses the title Christ. And yet here, twice he uses the name Jesus. The human name. The name of the man who walked this earth, who died on a cross for our sin. And it seems to me what Paul is saying here is this. Here's the test. How does what they're saying speak about the person of Jesus? the human man who walked this planet and died on a cross to redeem us from sin. How does what is being taught, how does it reflect him? Does it magnify him? Does it bring praise and glory to him? Or does it diminish him against what scripture says of him? 
And, and I think we can see that very simply if you just, in your mind, just pick on any religion or cult you can think of and whichever one it is, I suggest you, if you think about some of the central teaching of that, you will find that it diminishes Christ. It effectively says, Jesus be accursed. Because it, it will either make of him just a good person or even a perfect man but deny his deity or it will deny the fact that he was born of a virgin birth or it will deny the fact that he paid for the sin of everyone who's going to be saved. It will deny the fact that he's the only way to heaven. It will deny the fact that he rose again bodily from, from the grave. It might say he was a good prophet. It might say even he was a God, lowercase g. But in some way or another it will diminish what the Bible declares about Jesus. In other words, Jesus is cursed. And Paul's saying, if it does that, then it is not of the Spirit of God. It is of the devil. On the other hand, if it proclaims the Lordship of Jesus, if it magnifies the fact that he was truly God, that he really did die on a cross for our sins, that he did gloriously rise again, that he is reigning on high, that he will return to receive his church, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, if that is what it magnifies, then it's coming from the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? It seems to me that's what he's saying there. So the challenge must be, since he's put it there as he starts this section on the work of the Holy Spirit, that he wants us to apply that here. When we come to look at gifts of the Holy Spirit, when we come to look at how we use them, as we come to look at what God has given them for, in our thinking, what is the end result? Is it the glory of Christ? Is it going to magnify Jesus? Or is it going to bring glory to the person who's got the gift? Or is seeking the gift? Is it going to magnify them? Is it going to magnify the church? Is it going to lift us up on a pedestal? Is, is that the goal? Because if it is, that's not of the Spirit, says Paul, and we've gone wrong. As we look at this, our whole mindset must be, how is this going to magnify Jesus? How is it going to proclaim his Lordship? How is it going to help us in our worship to that end? How is it going to help us in our living to that end? That Jesus Christ might be seen as Lord. My friends, can I just ask a couple of questions before we go any further? Is my life Christ magnifying? Or is it in truth me magnifying? It's good when people notice how we live if we're Christians, isn't it? If we're living rightly. It's good when people comment on that because it shows that they've noticed the difference. But what's our response to that? Is it to magnify Christ? And I don't just mean saying, oh, well, it's all of the Lord, not of me, and even in saying that sort of boasting. Do you know what I mean? I mean, is it our real concern that Christ and Christ only is magnified? Or do we sort of like basking in it a little bit? It's a great temptation, isn't it? Remember hearing Billy Graham um, many, many years ago, um, Norwich Football Ground, and I remember when he came on the platform and the whole auditorium was applauding. And I thought, how do you stay humble when you've got thousands of people applauding you when all you're doing is the Lord's work and trying to speak for Christ what a temptation but that temptation's there for every one of us isn't it in measure 
I mean, is our lives really Christ-magnifying or is it me uh, Christ-magnifying? In my approach to scripture, is my desire to magnify Christ? Or or is it to read into it what I want to find there? It's such a temptation to do that, isn't there? You know, I mean, let's be honest, we can make scripture appear to say anything we like. I mean, you can even find Jesus saying, if you haven't got a sword, go out and buy one. I mean, think what you could do with that if you wanted to. I I, I mean, when I come to Scripture, is my overwhelming desire that it will magnify Christ in that I I, I will be submissive to it and I want God's Spirit to apply it to my mind and to my heart and to my life so that Christ is magnified in my understanding, in my appreciation and in my living. In my approach to evangelism. There's very, very good reasons for sharing the gospel with other people, isn't there? There's our love of them. There's a very real concern that they're lost and they're going to a lost eternity. And those things aren't wrong, but over and above all of that, there should be the desire that Christ is magnified in this. Isn't that right? That's, that's primarily what it's about, isn't it? The glory of God. That they will fall down in their knees in adoration before the King of all glory. What's my approach to teaching or to preaching or to taking women's meetings or to the young people's work or whatever I'm involved in? To handing out books on the door as people come in. What's my approach to it? Is it that I want Christ to be glorified and magnified in this? Or is it that I want people to see what a good job I'm doing of it and give me thanks? Now can we apply that to the gifts as we come to look at this? Of course we can. When I was teaching at Ebcom, um, I had the privilege of teaching 1 Corinthians with one of the classes. And when we got to these verses, we hadn't got very far into them. I was trying to encourage questions, and it's very, very hard. Um, Colin will tell you better than I. They're, they're very much used to just being taught. And, and I found this straight away, and I found it really, really hard. They, they expect someone just to tell them things and then to take notes and things. It's very hard to get them debating and responding and. Uh, and thing and, and then they tend to say what they think you want them to say instead of you know, you know where I'm going and, and quite unexpectedly really there was only two young ladies in the class and one of them said can you tell me this pastor um, can one person have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit all the gifts that are mentioned in the Bible and partly because I didn't want to come back quick on her and partly because I wanted to know what lied behind it I said do you mind telling me um, have you got a particular reason for asking that and she said yeah I have So I said, well, would you mind telling me what it is? I don't want you to name names or anything. She said, well, it's just that someone I know, I respect greatly, has said he's got now all but one of the gifts. Um, And he's just waiting for the last one and then he'll have all of them. Um, What do you think about that? So So I said, well, I want to be very careful because I don't know who this person is and I certainly don't want to damage your relationship with them or or start, you know. She said, well, actually, she said, it's my pastor of the church I've come from and I said well can I just very gently say that I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches Um, it says very clearly that there's a diversity of gifts and God gives them to each as he portions as he chooses the whole reason they're given is that we work together that we're interdependent if one person's got all the gifts that's the only person you need to depend on isn't it and that person doesn't need to depend on anybody Um, I, I can only say that my comments were far more gentle than those of some of the other students in the room who suggested to her various things about the teaching of the pastor of the church. We have to be careful, don't we? It's so easy 
to start to lose sight of the glory of Christ and start to look for the glory of me. And Paul, right here at the very start of this, is saying this is the all-important lesson as we go into looking at this. It's got to be about the glory of God and not about the glory or the promotion of self. I think it's helpful just to try and identify the few of the things that they've got wrong here so that we can just see as we go through these chapters how Paul answers them. Very clearly, they're mistaking emotional experience for spirituality. I think that comes out clearly in a number of places in these verses. For example, in chapter 14, Paul talks of the importance of praying with my mind as well as with my spirit. He talks about the importance of instructing each other. And and, and it's very clear that Paul's trying to put back in there a sense that it's not just about experience, it's not just about emotion, it's, it's about what you know and what you believe and what scripture teaches. Now can I say very clearly, Christianity is an emotional experiential faith, of course it is. If you don't get emotional in your Christian faith, there is something wrong. It should drive you to tears, it should drive you to rejoicing, it should drive you to laughter at times. You know, it, it should overwhelm you. The, the, the magnificence of what God has done. I mean, how could you look at that video at the start there and just look at some of the little things like a worm that God's made and, and not have an emotional response to that as a Christian? Of course there is. But it is rooted in, it is based on, it is founded in the Word of God. There's got to be that truth underpinning it. There's got to be that intellectual understanding and assent to what God says. And when emotion becomes divorced from that, either way it goes wrong. You either end up just with intellectual assent and no emotion and, and a deadness to, to your, your relationship with God and your faith, or you end up with just a frothy, bubbly sort of experience that is not linked to truth and therefore not real. And either can happen and either does happen. And in the church, it was that it was all the emotion and the experience and they weren't rooting it in the Word of God. They weren't being driven by the Word of God. The second thing that we can see very clearly as we go through these passages that Paul addresses is that they'd sort of set up a hierarchy for these gifts. They determined that that gift was better than that one, that was the one they wanted and that one wasn't so important. And not least, they got it wrong, their order. But the point that they try to do an order to them at all suggests that their whole thinking was wrong about it. They were seeing it as a level of achievement, a level of advancement, a level of showing how spiritual they were. And Paul says, no, the Spirit gives them to which person he determines. It's got nothing to do with you, it's his choice. And leading on from that, thirdly, they were obviously far more concerned to compete with one another than they were to bless one another. They were destroying the church over this. The church is getting damaged instead of being built up by these gifts or the use of these gifts. And the church was really being torn apart. Not only being torn apart, but as Paul says, when a non-Christian came in, they would think it was madness and nonsense what was going on and be put off rather than be brought close to Christ. So look, for the last couple of minutes... I just want us to see this. There is a diversity and there is a unity in this. The unity is not in us all ending up with the same gift. That was the logic there in Corinth. The unity is in the person who's given the gifts and in the purpose for which they've been given. They've all come from one Holy Spirit, says Paul. 
I mean, he can't say it more clearly in those verses. How many times did we read it in those opening verses of verse 12 that it's the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, uh, the one Spirit, and, and so on all the way through it. Now, how can you boast about what you've got if it is a gift and it's given by God? Where's the scope for boasting in that any more than in your salvation? Paul says there's none. They're gifts they're from God each and every one of them if it's the most lowly gift or humanly speaking it's the most looked up to gift the originator is the Holy Spirit and therefore the glory is his the praise is his and they're from him but more than that they're for one purpose the purpose for which they're given is the building up of the church verse 7 for the common good not the common bad, that's what was happening at Corinth, the common good. Chapter 14, verse 12, when we come to it, he says, strive to excel in building up the church. His whole purpose is that we will not be complete on our own, no one person will have all the gifts, but rather we will need to depend on each other. So in a very practical way, we will share, we will contribute, we will help, we will support, encouragement, a gift of the Holy Spirit and together we will grow up into Christ there is a unity there but there is a diversity in the gifts that God gives and we're not going to develop that at all we're not going to look at any of the gifts this week but just as you glance at that list there's another list further on in the chats there's a list in Romans 12 there's a list in Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4 and in each list there's different gifts mentioned but the first thing that strikes you as you look at them is the, the range, the diversity amongst them. From things like teaching and preaching to things like encouraging, gifts of administration. Uh, amazing range of gifts. And God says, my purpose is that each one will be valued and each one will be used to the well-being of the church. So, friend... Here's where we leave this week. How do you view gifts and services and workings or activities? Do you see them as what God's given you or do you see them as what God has given to the church through you? Two very different things, aren't they? If you see it the second way, then you have to be a servant to the church. You have to be a vessel that God can work through to use that gift in a corporate setting whether it's to people all together or whether it's on a one-to-one -one level with individuals. Do you recognise God as the source of all good gifts? Especially those given by his spirit to be used in his church. Are you ready and willing that he would use whatever gift he's given you in the church? seems to me there are a lot of people that would be very ready and willing to use a God-given gift for themselves. Not so keen if what it means is they've got to actually sacrifice their time and their effort and make a commitment and be prepared to give and give and give and give for other people's well-being, not for theirs. But that's what God has given the gifts for. He's given us so that we can be useful do you want to be useful for God? And equally well, can I ask you this? Are you looking to be dependent on the gifts that other people have got 
rather than have those gifts for yourself. There's no place for jealousy in the church, is there? No place for jealousy in the heart of a believer. There's two ways we can look at these gifts that we haven't got. We can either say, Lord, why haven't I got that gift? I wish I could do that. Oh Lord, I really want that gift. Lord, if only I had that gift, I could do this, that and the other for you. That's one way of looking at it. And there's a sense in which it's not wrong to pursue gifts if you're pursuing them for the right motives. But you can either look at it that way or you can look at it this way. But God, you've given me that gift and I thank you for that. Help me to use it well. And Lord, I'm so glad you've given that person that gift because I can now depend on them. And I can now be a blessing to them by being a recipient for the use of the gift that they've been given. And in that way we just lean on each other. And in that way we support each other. And in that way we just grow together and up into Christ as the church he wants us to be. We're going to sing as we conclude this part of the service.